Hey everybody, this is Kenneth coming to you from the future. <laughs> I'm recording this message uh, the day after we recorded and released the Cyberpunk 2077 finale, which is up for all $5 plus patrons over at patreon.com slash normandyfm. But I wanted to take this message and put it before a few of these episodes that are coming out uh, between now and then uh, to let y'all know we are looking to record uh, another Q&A episode, which we have not done in several years at this point. I think the last time we did one was at the end of the Dragon Age season, and a lot has happened since then. Um, and there are a lot more of you now. So uh, we figured it was, you know, decent enough time to uh, re-up that and try and do another one of those. So I'm putting this message here in front of this episode and a few others that are going to be coming out between now and the finale of Cyberpunk, just so uh, y'all know ahead of time, because we're looking to record that Q&A episode probably in December, uh, if not January. But with the message I'm putting here, y'all can know ahead of time and know where y'all can send questions for that just giant mailbag episode. We've had uh, some of those last for several hours before, and so those are always a lot of fun, and we always love to hear from y'all. So if y'all want to send in a question about, you know, about the show, about the video game industry from uh, our perspectives as reporters and critics uh, that have spent many years in this industry at this point, yeah, y'all can throw it out there, or just, just about anything, any, anything within reason. Yeah, feel free to send that to normandyfm at gmail, and we will dump them all into a giant mailbag and go through them all in one long episode. But uh, yeah, until then, the Cyberpunk season will continue to roll out uh, bi-weekly for the public feed. Uh, the entire season is available now to anyone that has subscribed to the Patreon with five or more dollars. Thank y'all again for all the support, and let's get back to our journey through Night City. This is Kerry Uridine, and you're listening to Normandy FM Cyberpunk 2077 Retrospective. Welcome to another extra special, extra wonderful Cyberpunk 2077 edition of Normandy FM. I, of course, am one of your co-hosts, Eric Van Allen, joined by Ken Shepard. Ken, how are you doing today? Uh, okay, did you uh, did you realize that we are almost done with this game? You know what? I, I think about it every day, Ken. I close my eyes and see the light <laughs> in the distance and just thank my lucky stars that every episode brings us closer to the end. Oh, <laughs> uh, and, and we're gonna finish it before the uh, DLC comes out. That was the really important part. <laughs> mm, <laughs> make, mm, make sure we can't have that happening. Uh, <laughs> joining us today to chat about cyberpunk as well as all things, you know, uh, Goro Takamura, which is our topic for today. It's the one and only Matt Kim. Matt, how are you doing? Uh, hello. I. Uh didn't realize you were having such a hard time with cyberpunk and uh, had i known <laughs> i i would have come on earlier to <laughs> i would have come on earlier because that is a i think a pretty common feeling amongst amongst people who played it 
Yeah. Me, I'm, I'm living my, my best Night City life at this point. Like, I think I've come around oh. to, like, feeling pretty mostly positive about the parts of this game that I do like. I think, like, I'm, I'm pretty, I think a lot of it, it's kind of unremarkable, but the things that I do like, I feel like I'm, I like them a lot more and have a reward coming back to this game now. Uh, but I, I also I like, like this. Like, I think we're so well represented, hard. right? I think yeah. we're well represented because we got, we got one pro, one con, and I played, I played it at launch. Mm. And so I'm like uh, two years now removed from my actual, my full playthrough of the game. And I'm in a position where I don't think I loved it when I played it, but I keep thinking about going back to it. Mm -hmm. So I'm in that kind of weird, like middle ground. So that's cool. We got a mediator here, right? Yeah. I, I love your, your assessment there, Ken. You were, you were so hot on it. You're like, I have come around. I am so positive on, and then you like stopped yourself, and you're like, "The <laughs> things that are good about this game." <laughs> you I'm just saying, like, when, when you it's... cannot say the whole game, but the no, things no, no. that are good about this game. <laughs> yeah, like I mean, every time, I've, every time I've said that I like this game or or parts about it, it comes with an asterisk to it. Uh, you know, it says, but not you know anything that has to do with actually playing it and any, any like mechanics or systems in it. Everything else, though. It's got a lot of great ideas. This brownie <laughs> did have chunks of poo in it, but the brownie around the poo <laughs> was was fantastic. <laughs> oh God! Uh, before we get into it, as we were talking about all the Goro side missions for this episode, Matt, tell us uh, a little bit about yourself and uh, for the folks at home, uh, how you got into cyberpunk. A little bit about your your cyberpunk launch experience, maybe. Uh, sure, yeah. So I'm um, uh, Matt Kim. I'm uh, the news editor over at IGN. I'm longtime friends with Eric, and, and I follow Kenneth on, on Twitter, so <laughs> familiar with the crew that way. Uh, and Cyberpunk, you know, I don't know. Cyberpunk was like the biggest game of, when was it, 2020? Mm-hmm. 2020? Yeah. Yep. It was supposed to be the biggest game, supposed to be uh, the biggest game of 2020. And so I uh, I think I'm far enough that I can say I got a, a early copy for a review. Uh, even though I didn't review it. So I was playing an um, uh, early version of it on a pretty high-spec PC. And so when I played it uh, all the way through, I did not encounter any of the like big technical issues that mm. were plaguing mm-hmm. like PlayStation 4s and Xbox Ones at the time. Uh, but what I did end up playing, I was... I want to say disappointed, but only because my expectations were high. And I and I'm not like I've been in the industry long enough where I feel like I'm not uh, easily sort of like uh, I don't get sucked into the hype mm-hmm. so much. Mm-hmm. But I but I, like I'm not I'm not crazy, right? CDPR was very aggressive in their sort of messaging about about the what you could do in that game and oh. For sure, for sure. There was yeah, a and... lot of, like, I, it, it's well documented at this point that there was even from the first time they showed it at E3 to then later on the things that, that changed or, or were completely removed. And that's common for any game, but, like, Cyberpunk had a lens on it and a focus on it for so long. And it was super hyped by both CDPR and people who were coming off of games like The Witcher 3 and being like, oh my god, this is the next great game from the Witcher 3 devs. So, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah, and so I played it, and I, you know, I liked it when I played it, but only, I mean, I was playing a very unmarred version of it. Like, I think I had one 
crashed maybe the mm. entire time and maybe like two instances of a character randomly t-posing or floating away but other than that like my my first playthrough was pretty spotless and but the only thing was you know like everything else around it was was not what i was expecting and so i was expecting a sort of like very deep deep rpg and what i got was that it was a pretty okay action game pretty okay mm. shooter i think yeah yeah that's when sort of the, the weird thing coming you know almost two years removed at this point with all these updates and you know the the next gen versions that are coming out. There's been some people that like want to say like, oh, now we we can really see the game that un- under all those uh, mechanical issues was really something special. I was like, honestly, like my takeaway from the season at this point has been, uh, you take away all those uh, mechanical issues and it just you kind of realize that it's just a pretty average open world RPG in a lot of in a lot of ways. You know, mechanically, specifically. Um and I think a lot of my enjoyment of it comes from a a thematic. Uh, pillar of it more just like the story is messy in a lot of ways but I think like the sort of uh, overarching broad strokes that it has are pretty interesting and depending on how you're you know what how you role playing in the game uh, make something that seems to stumble into being pretty profound in a lot of at a lot of points mm. I, I can see that I have I have to go back but I can see that I think one of my my larger takeaways from the season that we're really going to get into today with the Takamura content is cyberpunk really feels like a grand theft auto game mm. and and not just in the way that it's like an open world game where there's a cop system and gigs you can take on and whatever i mean that's most games have those nowadays but uh cyberpunk has this like like it it feels like you are doing, you know, the sort of crime stuff that a GTA usually entails. And it has a storytelling aspect that is very similar to a GTA where you're kind of doing these branching missions for different quest givers that are going down different things that then coincide at a meeting point later on. That's a pretty common GTA uh, trope that, I mean, we also see in stuff like Bioware. But um, for some reason, Cyberpunk keeps reminding me of Grand Theft Auto. And I think it's because in this set of missions specifically, we do so much that rarely ever feels like it's making use of the setting that it's in. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of sections of this part specifically made me think, wow, this reminds me a lot of things I did in GTA five and not necessarily like a cyberpunk future, Mm -hmm. uh, especially the last part (laughs) of this and uh, I think that's fine. I, I definitely think there's room for a, a GTA with better storytelling. Uh, yes, I don't like the storytelling of most Grand Theft Auto games. Shocker. <laughs> but uh, it is really weird to kind of see how this story goes so many different places. But when you get on the main track, it is basically this like... Uh, pretty close to a modern crime story uh and and the most futuristic thing about it is that keanu reeves is a hologram that follows you everywhere <laughs> uh but we start out with our missions today for takamura uh which we, we've already at this point talked to him a little bit the the pan am intro stuff kind of is what sets up his later things that, that he is doing for for takamura specifically we when we last saw him he was uh roughing up a certain it was a programmer or something the Hellman. the uh, who Hellman 
Hellman, yes, yeah, yeah, the 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 architect of some of the engram stuff that we were trying to get info out of. Um, so Takamura uh, calls us and says he's gotten in contact with an old friend from Arasaka, a well-connected one that might be able to help us. And so he wants to set up a meeting. And this is very, you know, meeting down uh, under the bridge near the construction, like discreet. It was very <laughs> departed. It was very like crime movie. And this was already like setting the tone for me. Um, he's, Takamura has basically been going through it. Uh, he's had most of his implants taken out. He's he's living on hard times right now. Um, and he reveals that uh, the person we're meeting with is Hanako Arasaka's bodyguard, Oda. And he believes that if we can convince him of what's been going on, of everything that happened, uh, that we know who really killed uh, the Arasaka patriarch, we might be able to meet with Hanako, uh, his daughter, and... Uh, sister to I can I, I always get it messed up is it Yorinobu. Saboro Yorinobu okay yeah. <laughs> so Saboro's so, older Saboro yeah yeah, yeah yeah um that we can convince uh her that Yorinobu is the real murderer of Saboro and take care of everything it's very much like Goro wants everything to go back to normal right like for a guy who I think a lot of the quest sets him up as this whether, you know, he has seen everything, he's been through it all. He is still very much like we can just magically snap our fingers and everything goes back to normal, mm. right? <laughs> um, and so Oda shows up and is already, you know, kind of putting on a front. You know, he's, he's he seems not like an old pal of, of Goro's. And we start talking and... It's already not going great, and we kind of uh, end up having to to speak and try to tell him what happened, and he is just not hearing any of it, uh, and and Oda is just not not listening to us, and so he just gets out of there. And I, it's a weird sort of setup to this game because I feel like a lot of uh, this section reminded me of how often I'm kind of in the passenger seat in Cyberpunk. I don't know how you feel about that, Ken, but. I actually saw an article recently that was about like one of the best stuff in cyberpunk is when you're playing, when you're in the passenger seat and you're just like talking to people. And I feel like in this game very frequently V is kind of just, mm -hmm. you sit there and watch dialogue happen and occasionally yeah. get to interject. Uh, but I don't know this, this quest line didn't start off strong for me. How are you feeling at this point, Ken? Yeah, it was weird because like, there was a point where we do interject or we can interject and be like, are you going to help us or not? And, even at that point, like when I did ultimately say that, I was like, I, I still felt like I was walking in on something. Like I was, mm -hmm. I was like not even here for most of the conversation, and it, I felt like I was interrupting somebody else's beef, I guess. And um, mm -hmm. I think that's kind of what it's meant to make you feel at that point, because it's supposed to the, the conversation they start to have is very circular for a bit of time, and I think so. You're supposed to kind of play into that frustration because, like, yeah, Goro has like his own motivations. He wants to get everything to go back to normal for Arasaka. Uh, to know whatever that looks like now. But for us, you know, this is Keanu Reeves in our head, and there's, a, like, a ticking time bomb going on. Right, and right. I think from that perspective, like, feeling like there's a bunch of stuff in the way of what you want kind of, like, played into that frustration for me and, like, made me feel uncomfortable just being like, hey, are you just here to waste our time or are you here to actually hear us out? And once it was clear that he wasn't, I was just kind of, like, you know, ready to leave and move on to the next thing. Matt, we... We started into the episode already, but I wanted to 
to back up a little bit and kind of get some of your, well, what are your kind of, you know, feelings on Goro as a character and, and, uh, this this person who gradually becomes one of our our main characters in the main quest how do you feel about goro yeah um i think so i think i think one of the things about this uh particular section was that it really sets up goro as a main character and when i was going Mm -hmm. into it i didn't when i first met him i actually didn't think he was going to be that part of that big a part Mm -hmm. of the story you know um like the Night City is, is run by Mega Corps and Arasaka is one of the biggest ones. But up until that point, we re- our only interaction has been with Arasaka, but only in like a we're robbing from them kind of way, and we mm-hmm. and we witness this murder. And so I guess the like halfway through this storyline, I was like, oh, Arasaka is going to be like our main, like the Mega Por- Mega Corp that we're going to be dealing with primarily, uh, which I guess makes sense because I think they're they're like the most important story one in the original tabletop game. Mm-hmm. So. I guess that checks out. But yeah, like up until this point, I actually really didn't think I was going to be seeing Goro outside of like a couple optional stories, you know, mm-hmm. I was like, I was like, Oh, there he is. And then, um, and then you, so yeah. And so now we're like, now we're with him and we're like, Oh, you know, he's like the main guy. And my disappointment was uh, <laughs> palpable. <laughs> so, so not a Goro fan then. Not I'm not a Goro fan. And I, when I found out that I'm like, Oh, I'm going to be like, seeing this guy regularly and he's going to be a big part of like the story of this game i was not thrilled so so what is it you don't like about goro he's sort of so he's sort of he is basically like everything that i think i hate about any time like an asian or japanese character is written mm-hmm. in like a story you know like mm-hmm. From the moment you meet him, it's just like honor this, honor mm. that, gotta restore this, gotta do duty that. Like I'm like, oh my god, he is like, you can run like a hundred uh, like Japanese characters, Asian characters through like an AI supercomputer, and it'll like <laughs> pop out Goro. <laughs> I that's that's kind of like Arasaka every time we've dealt with Arasaka up to this point outside of some of the corpo stuff that we see on, on V side early on, if you do the corpo life path, uh, it is very drenched in all of that because our, our main actors in it are your new uh, Yori Nobu and Saboro and mm-hmm. uh, Goro. And then later Hanako and Oda. And so we have all the characters all Asian characters, all very often talking about honor, family, um, saying a lot of the things that, like you said, kind of come to expect from a a stereotypical reading of of culture and stuff. And I think the thing that jumped out at me in this game, specifically regarding that, is when we uh, after the talk with Oda, we wrap up and we're like, okay, we did get some info out of that. Oda is not really listening to us, but we do know that Hanako is going to be in town for the parade. And so we have a window to get in contact with Hanako and try to get her to hear us out, even if Oda won't. And so we head over to Wakako uh, on Jig Jig Street. And the way they frame this is very much like, he's like you have a fixer who knows what's going on around this area where the parade is right and we go to wakako and wakako is really like i i think they use her because she is the one fixer that you have to have had contact with Mm. prior like she is the one fixer that the game 
literally puts in the critical path so cdpr always knows they can go back to her and that's why she she popped up in another one i can't remember um but we've had another main story mission where she gets brought up but wakako Um, wasn't there one in like it wasn't maybe it was pan am or or judy i mean she was i mean she came up in the the thinner man stuff because she's like okay right 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 um but Wakako ends up playing a much larger role compared to the other fixers just because like the game knows we will run into her. We we cannot not run into her. So we we head there and Wakako's arguing on the phone with Rogue, but we immediately get into some stuff where um Goro immediately uh greets Wakako in, in Japanese and they start talking back and forth and there's something that um he he wound up saying in this section that i was just like huh that was a really weird like interaction between these two but i very early on with goro i ended up liking a lot of the stuff where we were seeing him as a dude that is down on his luck dejected like trying to figure out what life means without this company that has like propped him up and given him meaning and we we dive into some of that stuff later but it seemed to rapidly oscillate between here's this really interesting character and then, oh, we need to do some of the like, uh, oh, well, he is a warrior and he has honor and he needs to fight for mm-hmm. his honor and dignity and stuff. And and that was the weird thing with Goro is I could never, there were moments where I was like, I really like this character a lot more than I thought I did. And then immediately later it would pinwheel back around and be like, oh, never mind. <laughs> yeah. I- I think I think if this was a story of a man who was like formerly of these like like very dedicated to we'll say these trope things right, but then loses mm-hmm. it and then sort of has to like forge a new identity through the, the mm-hmm. meat grinder that's Night City. I think that would be a much more compelling narrative. But mm-hmm. his main driver is to get back to where it was to right. like he can't let go of what he loves, so he's gonna do what he can to get back there. Yeah, and it is. It's frustrating because the, he is meant to be like the more humanized character from Arasaka that we ever like see in this game, and so he's supposed to be like that human connection to this thing. And this, you know, this conversation that we keep like alluding to that's gonna happen later, where you kind of realize that like for all the opportunities that that character has to be a person who like starts to consider another way of life by having been basically like kicked out without any other thought uh, from this thing that he you know viewed as this thing of safety for him he's still very emboldened in the way that things are and that this is how things can be and should be. And that was, you know, because for all, like, you know, the, the chances that we get to meet characters in other, like, you know, sides of Night City and other cultures, like, like that's all, all of, like, Pan Am's whole thing, right? Like, she is the gateway into the nomad culture and, like, is all about this other way of life that V might not have had at this point, you know, depending on which uh, background they've done, where... Goro has the opportunity to be that window and it's just like so emboldened in that he and V are from different sides of the world and will never truly see eye to eye that yeah, yeah it just ends up becoming this like weirdly circular character at a lot of points yeah it's pretty interesting right because I guess I guess in another way you could you're right like the opportunity would be that on the surface the Arasaka Corporation can put up this like facade of like they care about these things like honor and duty and family and like that's like their whole main thing that they show to the public but like internally and like we get this with with what's his name Yoru, Yoru, 
the sun, the, the, uh, Yorinobu. the shitty sun. Yorinobu. Uh, that like you know, like behind the facade of of this corporation, he's just a, he's just a dirty little pervert baby. Mm. Um, <laughs> but but then like but then you can use Goro as a sort of like no 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 like internally like these characters do have like deeper meaning and deeper thoughts and deeper like deeper characterizations. But then you kind they kind of don't right like on the facade aspect it's family honor and duty and then like internally through Goro it's still kind of the same thing. I, right. I think the thing that that keeps striking me about this is that there are so many ways they could have taken Goro, but the story needs him to facilitate certain things that happen. But even as we go through this, and and I promise we'll we'll start talking about the story again, so we can actually get to the parts we keep saying we'll we'll talk about eventually. Uh, we it, it feels like Goro's character is constantly being tugged in different directions because the story needs to get certain people into certain places to have certain conversations and just create a sense of the game heading towards what will eventually, I mean, this really does set up the final mission of the game. Like mm. Ken, you mentioned earlier that like we are very close to the end yeah. and in some ways it does feel like that and in other ways it feels very much not like that <laughs> and right. like you can get to this point in the video game alarmingly fast right. uh I, I think that was the experience for a lot of people early on is that they were surprised by how fast they got through this video game uh and and we'll we'll talk some more on some of that in a bit but with Goro specifically, it feels like he's being tugged in all these directions because he has to both facilitate his own story and the story of Arasaka and the story of the video game and, and the thing that we need to be doing here. So what we are actually doing here is we make a deal with Wakako where uh, after a little back and forth, she kind of, you know, oh, I should turn you into Arasaka. They're all looking for you. And then SV, you can point out, like, look, if you're going to do that, you would have already done it. So, like, <laughs> let's mm. let's call it what it is. Um, Ken, you actually had a street kid option. I didn't know that uh, this was a thing that her grandson was killed by Arasaka. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Which was the point, like, because she once she asked, like, why would I not just turn you in, and like, why would you do something to aid the corporation that resulted in the death of your son, and that um. I guess, like, you know, that's one of the points where, like, the street kid has just been around, just knows things, and would have been aware of something that happened probably, like, long before V was even, like, in the game. Mm -hmm. um, and so, when I, like, when I say, like, what does time heal all wounds, uh, she just pulls the shard out and just, like, like, without even really acknowledging what I'm saying, like, just acknowledges it by giving me what I want, instead of having to have this, you know, long monologue about it, right. which I thought was, like, you know, it's, it's a, one of the things where, like, restraint works in this game's favor when it doesn't feel like it does that enough? Uh, the Corpo one was kind of similar. I had a Corpo thing here where they they say something about, like, oh, do you really... This was... Okay, this was the part I was trying to remember. Uh, Corpo V says something wild about, like, oh, you really think that Goro hiding out in your place is just coincidence and they're mm. not going to think that maybe you have a reason to hide a certain like Japanese bodyguard. And I was like, did my Corpo V really just like pull the race card? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and Wakako just handed it over. And I was like, 
Jesus. <laughs> Corpo V's kind of a dick. You um, know, he's Japanese, you're Japanese. Are you sure it's not all? <laughs> they, they were they were literally and again, Arasaka, which is like a very at this point like Asian coded uh, corporation they're like you think they're not just gonna come in and scoop all y'all up <laughs> and i was just <laughs> like what the fuck <laughs> but yeah apparently that worked on wakako um so we get the shard and we just learned that uh japantown's going to be sealed off hanako is expected to give a speech there's a whole like procession thing going on they don't really Ken, what is the parade's purpose? I feel uh, like I never got that. Okay, so it's just this big parade to be like, wasn't our dead dad awesome? Pretty much. Uh, I Eric, realized, this isn't far-fetched. Like, I know, they're I, doing I, this now in right? the UK. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's for like... I. That, that's for for a queen, not like... Th- this would be like doing this for the equivalent of like a Jeff Bezos, you know? Like you don't think procession. they're going to do this for Jeff Bezos? Yeah. No, they're probably going to do this for Jeff Bezos. <laughs> <laughs> like the, the way that this game frames corporations as almost like government figures, almost like it, sort of you know these people just have like this large pull and cultural cachet. That, like I I I bought into that. I, I was like I believe that, especially because like our soccer have such a strong presence in Night City. I I think I would have liked it more if they showed us more of like the sense that obviously you know they they talk about the fixer like wakako has to have this information because why wouldn't you be trying to pull something off when arsaka's in town and stuff like that and just the idea that like how different elements react to there being this giant gaudy procession in the middle of jig jig street which is like the uh the red light district of night city uh I would have liked some more color there as to how are people on the ground feeling about this? What do people think of Saburo, Arasaka, and Yorinobu? And like, this is maybe one of my larger criticisms of this entire section is I don't know shit about any of these characters at this point. Like we earlier, Matt, you were talking about Yorinobu and maybe we get some background that he's you know, this fail son and, and Goro's like kind of this counterpoint or whatever. I don't know anything about Yorinobu at this point other than what we saw in the initial heist. Like that is mm. the most we have seen of Yorinobu and at this point we don't know we, we get some hints a little bit later on, but mostly in terms of like him wanting to consolidate power. And that's it. And I really wanted more, I don't know, just, just something to get more color and explanation and just kind of like a feeling that these characters exist in the world. And instead, they just kind of exist as uh, things that V can be working against, like forces that would be mm. against V or, or obstacles that V needs to overcome in some way. Uh, See, like... Really... I. And this is something that I've been thinking about, like, as a, you know, as we've been going through and as I've been playing ahead, is that so much of the sort of relationships that people have to corporations in Cyberpunk 2077 is just grandstanding and platitudes. And it's, you know, like, not, it's not that I don't believe Johnny Silverhand when he has this, you know, long speech about how corporations are, like, you know, destroying humanity in Night City, but a lot of that is simply shown to you by somebody talking about it as opposed to instances of you actually seeing it happen in the world. You know, there are some quests that, like, you know, 
really kind of show how corporations commodify things. Like, I mean, that was the entire thing of Centerman. Like, that was the entire thing of, like, watching a corporation, you know, get its hooks into somebody and take advantage of everything that they thought and believed. But what corporation was that? Who the fuck knows? That's kind of my point, is that, like, it it feels like sections of this game are completely siloed off from the world, and it makes them feel completely disconnected from what is happening in Night City. Yeah. Um, Right. I mean, like, one of the things is that the people who work in corporations live so much better, or so live so differently than people who live on the streets. Right, right. but you end up in this situation where, like, I think Dream On and that whole line is a really good example of they just kind of create this uh, organization whole cloth for that uh, for that mm-hmm. quest. Same with Cinderman. They're just like, oh, a BD company. And I would have loved to have seen more often, like, times that this game slipped Arasaka into things. It feels like... Arasaka has the level of involvement in this story that like one of the gun manufacturing companies in Borderlands has where it is this like faceless organization that has a brand and everyone kind of references them and talks about them but more in terms of like oh I bought you know the Costco brand thing and not like Costco destroyed my family (laughs) you know because like the thing seems to be a lot of these corporations get like they're a sign thing that they do in the world, and Arasaka seems to be, like, secure your soul. Like, that seems to be, like, the embodiment of everything that, that it does to people. But that is, like, you know, that's on the main main path most of the time. So the only times that we're getting any information on that is, like, these quests like the, that we have with Takamura. And it's something that I'm even coming to realize now, as if, like, not to, you know, get too far ahead of ourselves. Like, when I look at the ending of this game, it... <sighs> It frames so many of these things in different ways, depending on which choice you, you make, where you're kind of having to make a decision of, like, what plot beats do you actually want to follow and, like, see through to the end, because the game is fairly unapologetic at the end in terms of, like, cutting off certain plot beats if you're not going to follow that that ending route. Mm. And that's, you know, that's an interesting kind of ballsy thing, honestly, but it does mean that one playthrough is going to see a lot less of this world than another is going to see. Mm-hmm. So... We take our break. We take our, our quest-mandated break from Goro, where we uh, <laughs> finish the Wakako thing after getting the shard about the the parade. And then the game is like, wait a day for Goro to get back to you. And because we were playing this game at a certain pace, uh, I just ended up waiting time <laughs> outside. Uh, and we get a call from Takamura to go meet him in Japantown. Uh, he's got an idea he's he's got a plan formulating he needs some help so we meet up with him at a food stall and this is where we do get a little bit of color uh takamura starts telling us about yorinobu he he orchestrated the parade uh it's it's a power play it's a way for enemies to know that uh not to mess with him and stuff like that and i really again am just like but how like how is this a message of anything <laughs> like <laughs> it's just a bunch of parades it, like it's just floats rolling down night city i really don't get it uh but i i don't know i mean like you, you have the power to orchestrate something on that scale like that is as disruptive to everyday life as that like i think you know i mean it's it's not necessarily anything concrete in terms of what he's trying to show the world it's just more 
I have the money and power to do this and interrupt people's lives because Arasaka is as powerful in Night City as it is, and I am now the head of that. So don't believe that just because, like, Sororu is gone that we are any less powerful than we've ever been. It, it does give, like, a veneer of narcissism, which mm-hmm. is the most I get out of Yorinobu's characterization here, is that he's obviously... Uh, he, he wants power, he's a narcissist, he wants to control everything. Uh, he is he is the one who believes in himself more than anybody else. And, and we do get a little touch of why that is later on that we will get to. But uh, it, it's mostly just like, we're going to do a big parade and everyone will be super afraid of us after that. <laughs> uh, and so... Goro's big plan is that we're just going to jump onto Hanako's float. <laughs> we're just going to plan. leap off a building and jump on a Hanako's float, which I admire in its bold welcome to jackass tenacity. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also, like, you don't think people are going to think you're trying to assassinate her because that's what Arasaka thinks that you're doing now? Right, right. Um, so his his whole thing is that you know, he's concerned about snipers. You know, obviously a sniper would take him out uh, if he tried to do that. And so uh, we will have a sort of rundown that we'll have to do where we will have to take out the snipers while uh, Goro gets onto the float. But we're also going to need to make the float stop somewhere. And so we have to uh, put in some software that will basically like haywire the float and stop it long enough for Goro to get on board. And at this point, we start talking about stuff. We're sitting in a stand because Goro hasn't eaten all day. And we have a funny bit where Goro is, like, lamenting how bad the food in Night City is. Like, he he gets some... It it looks like a skewer, I think, but Mm. is just some nasty-looking meat, uh, questionable (laughs) meat. And he he does, like, a spit take with it, which is very fun. Uh, but this is when Johnny also comes in and just starts being like, oh, he's just a trained dog. He just needs orders. He, he can't live without orders. And I, the Johnny stuff at this point, I I don't think any of the Johnny stuff in this whole quest line really did much for me. It mm. felt very much like Johnny, I, and this was really the only one that I even remembered coming back to record today. Uh, this was the only time Johnny popped in that I really felt was memorable outside of uh, some of the end of this this questline stuff. Uh, again, just really feels like they're not using Keanu Reeves to the fullest mm-hmm. potential in every given situation. <laughs> um, so we we can kind of be like, yeah, yeah, I agree. Or we can tell him to chill out. It's whatever. Um I do like the one thing that he does point out, which is, like, you don't become Saboru Arasaka's bodyguard by being a nice guy. Like, mm. Goro has absolutely done some shit. And I was like, yeah, that, that's one, like, interesting little bit here. Mm. Um, we we do some recon, uh, and, and we can watch a press conference here. Is this the part where we also do the little, like... Um, like, like we basically get inside this little like hideout area like oh yeah because we had to test the uh the software that we're putting in the uh the float 
it was maybe the most contained deus ex level i've ever seen in my <laughs> life because it was like do you want to break the door open or do you want to go in through this vent <laughs> and, <laughs> and it was like you either you do one of those two and you put the software in it's like good job now get back out and then goro's like good it works <laughs> and i i was just sitting there like they really just you know boiled that deus ex level down to its barest parts and then just put it over here and we're like that'll be for this quest (laughs) (laughs) i i almost felt like i i walked out the door and i was like was that supposed to be more arduous was there like more to that did i like accidentally skip a whole part of this quest it was like nah we just wanted you to make a decision door event and then come back out. <laughs> it's a deep rpg experience mm-hmm. where your choices matter branching mm-hmm. paths for different play styles <laughs> oh um god i've seen too many game presentations in my life um we do actually end up doing some real recon later. We head up to a construction site where Goro is kind of looking out over where the float uh, parade stuff is, is being held. And um, I think this is, no, it might've been previous to this, but around this time, this is when we get the the bit about um, Yorinobu. Uh, Takamura tells us about how Yorinobu kind of went out to try and do his own thing for a while. And when he came back after it all failed, uh, Hanako is the one who basically talks Saboru into taking Yorinobu back in. Mm-hmm. And so Hanako is like the the bleeding heart of the family, you know, very much like cares for her brother. Uh, and I, I think like the implication is she might end up feeling responsible for what happened to her father uh, if we can convince her that Yorinobu did do what he did. Um, but that is kind of like the, like that also helped fill in your Nobu a bit for me as the, like, oh, he has a complex, like he's, he, he came back and only got back in because his sister felt sorry for him. So he's probably got like a chip on his shoulder and feels Mm -hmm. like he is better than what his, uh, than what his father thinks of him and all that. So that at least fills that in, but I, I still feel like most of these characters are just kind of we're being told so much about them. We're not mm. talking to any of them at this point, which granted wouldn't make sense story-wise, but I just feel like there's a lot in this game that gets told to you about other characters rather than see characters act out the way that they are. Um, so we had to do a construction site. We hang out there for a while. Um, we end up having another relic freak out, so we have to lie down for a bit. Uh, and this is when we get probably one of the more memorable scenes. Apparently, is this like a meme, Ken? Because when we were watching the cyberpunk Night City Wire that they did recently as of this recording, uh, they were like, oh, and Nibbles the cat can be in the photo mode, and it's the cat from this section that Yorinobu, or or that Takamura, like, points out and is like, oh, hey, look, a, a stray cat. So I was looking around and people were like, oh, you actually can't get the cat into the photo mode until you invite them to your apartment. I, like, I didn't know there was a cat that I could invite into my apartment in this game. Like, yeah. I don't know. Like, that was a... Sometimes, you know, sometimes when games are this big, you just miss out on the jokes that everyone else has apparently been having for two years. Well, there's also, like, a phenomenon in that I've noticed in covering games, which is that, like, sometimes when you want 
a game to feel like it has a community in it, you will kind of meme up things on purpose and you mm. will see this sometimes where, uh, you know, companies when they're trying to drum up support for a game that's been out already for a bit they'll be like oh and we brought this beloved community meme look at this it's nibbles the cat and <laughs> it's, it's the like blasto one from reddit post from like one time yeah it's the oh the blasto yeah, yeah. it's Which, but it, what who became a character in citadel but you know yeah but it, it becomes a thing that they drum up and i've seen it frequently for games that are trying to like put on a uh, a show that like oh there's a dedicated community to this group and I, when i saw nibbles the first thing i thought was is nibbles actually a thing or is this a thing mm -hmm. that cdpr wants to be a thing so they can be like look we've got memes <laughs> <laughs> don't you love memes of cyberpunk share them with photo we can sell a plush later yeah yeah mm -hmm. we can sell a nibbles plush um you don't make stuff like roach on a house happen all right that has to happen naturally can't force it um anyways this is I, I do think this is a particularly memorable scene for goro because we we're hanging out looking at this cat and it is kind of a cool thing that i mean really it made me realize how i have not seen ambient you know animals just mm -hmm. hanging out in the world of cyberpunk and that is part of that is a weird thing and it makes you go like oh you know maybe they just never rigged up dogs you know they they <laughs> didn't really have a reason to do that or anything but also like working it into the lore to be like oh yeah you know the city is so manufactured and and loud and artificial that of course wildlife would not mm -hmm. want to exist in it and it's it's always building on top of itself so nature never really has a way to grow back in but this is like some of the first you know just kind of animals we've seen running around and uh it, it's kind of cool i like it i don't know it was it was a it was a neat thing mm -hmm. um and talking more i was like oh it might be a bakaneko a cat spirit that brings uh you know just bad bad vibe <laughs> it's a bad vibe cat oh man it's a bad vibe cat <laughs> Koro being like I don't, I don't like this this cat's got bad vibes <laughs> um and we can kind of you know I, I i do i took the the route where i'm like oh do you believe in in stuff like that and um goro at least like touches on some interesting stuff with like the idea of uh you know the relic like science is already surpassing what people thought possible mm -hmm. so like why would the impossible not be true and i was like oh okay mm -hmm. um he starts telling us about his his origins you know he grew up in uh i'm probably gonna butcher this pronunciation chiba 11 um and it's it's in japan and he was basically in a really rough place, um, always getting up to trouble. And Arasaka would occasionally send transports through the district to look for child soldiers that they would basically like recruit into Arasaka to use as soldiers. And that was how he became part of Arasaka. And he showed promise early on. He starts talking about how, um, you know, he had... He, he did well in his, his courses. He wasn't the best, but Saboru, uh, Saboru ends up picking him up, you know, by intuition, handpicks him to be 
selected into some special forces and years and years later that is how he ended up as the the body man for saboru and i kind of like this because at least it it shows why goro is so invested in Mm -hmm. arasaka like the idea that he was lifted up out of you know potentially living and dying in a terrible place and you know no matter what kind of home he received he did get a home but then he ends up like his whole thing then becomes oh but i want arasaka to keep going because it does good things for for people like me and you can try to like kind of push back on it and be like um oh you know you think Sokka is gonna do all this good stuff for everybody but like all those street kids are still there they're all fighting for scraps um nobody's gonna get like like you are literally the one percent that that got out of this that like you have uh selection bias right now because you were able to get up and get out and make a name for yourself and even then he is he's so reliant on Arasaka that he is desperate to just go back to them and return it all to the way it was. And he's just kind of like, Oh, well we can't fix everything all Mm. at once. And there is room for a character like this in cyberpunk. I don't dislike the idea of having a character who is very much like on the conservative side of you know, radical change and the idea Mm -hmm. that there is somebody who has benefited from something bad and then has that feeling of this. It's just that Goro, they don't do enough here to make Goro have that, like feel natural. Like again, Mm -hmm. it feels like Goro is just kind of bending to be what the story needs to be. And this one slice is really, really good and really interesting and it's about all we get of Goro as a character, because every other time he is just going to try and do the thing that is necessary for for us to meet the right characters, be in the right place, talk to the right people. And I maybe part of me just wishes we got more moments like this with Goro that would make this character feel more fleshed out. But it feels like they suddenly just dropped in like oh, this is why he loves Arasaka. Anyways, back to him trying to get you in contact with Hanako because we need you to talk to Hanako to set up this next thing that we're going to do. And and I don't know. It just, for for a lot of reasons, I mean, I mean a prime one also being that Goro can potentially die uh, in this mm-hmm. game, which we'll get to. It feels like they just kind of use him when it's necessary to advance the plot and don't really ever dive as deep as say Pan Am, Judy, like the companion type characters. Goro like just kind of has a moment to be a deep character and then they just jump him back onto the main story quest because he has to be the main story quest character right, at this point. Right. So I don't know. Matt, yeah, how'd you kind 100%. of feel about it? Yeah. I mean, I, I I agree in that, like, I didn't actually even know. I mean, we're jumping ahead, but I genuinely didn't know that you could save him. I thought he just dies in part of the story. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's weird. It is like a thing that I guess I, they do kind of like broadcast to you that, oh, you know, don't go back for him. You got to get out. And so that kind of implies that I guess we, we can get to that when we get to that. But 
I don't know. Yeah, Can I have any Goro thoughts here. I had a, a few things. I think it might just be. I think I might read this in a more positive light because I think I'm certain this was the point where I think I finally realized that Goro and I aren't friends. Like we aren't like because that's that's like I think the, the core difference between like Pan Am, Judy, Carrie, River, like. They are meant to be like a companion to you as the player. Where it feels like I think this was probably one of my favorite scenes with Goro, because it was one of the only times that it felt like Cyberpunk was really actually ever, ever talking about like class issues, and because you know that's supposed to be like a like real pillar of this city is that like you know there are these three kids on the bottom that are at the behest of the corpos up top, and as a street kid like I was kind of I was telling them about like how I grew up on the streets like having to like do crimes to survive and like you know that was my my way of growing up, and that was my community, and where his is something that he was, you know, he was chosen, like, out of a, out of a crowd by Arasaka, so he feels like he's been saved by this person, and he's, like, he more or less says, like, the cyberpunk equivalent of, like, nobody wants to work in Night City, like, it's like, you and Jackie were trying to find the easy way out by, you know, robbing Arasaka, so you could just, you know, make a quick buck, where all of us that work as, as corpos, like, we have to actually you know, work to make this thing that will persist beyond us, and I, you dirty your hands for money, I dirty my hands for principles, and for, like, continuity, and for all these other things, and I brought up the, the, uh, that moment in Tom's Diner, like, way, like, fucking seven episodes ago, uh, about how, like, people were reacting poorly to seeing Hanako on the TV, and, like, he didn't understand why people would speak so ill of her, but I'm like, no, the hatred for these corporations is very ingrained in anyone who is not immediately benefiting from them and so when he says that like we we cannot fix everything at, at once that was me like resigning to like he has been brought up in this way and has been you know cut off from how you know what what it's like for the for the other 99 percent of the population how it's how it feels to be on the streets trying to get by without somebody coming in to pluck you from obscurity and give you a job that sets you up pretty for the rest of your life and it was interesting in that, like, it felt like it went beyond Johnny's grandstanding, and that, like, it was people talking about, like, their lived experience and how it has shaped the way that they view the power dynamics of this world. And all that being said, though, it, like, when, after you have this conversation, and it really does not feel like it has nudged him out of his worldview, that was when I was like, okay, we're not friends. Like, we are not here by, we are not here together because we like each other, we are here together because we are useful to each other in the moment. And so in that way, like, it is frustrating to have, you know, this character that, that we spend so much time with that does not feel like he develops in the same way that Carrie, Pan Am, Judy, River do. But I just kind of understood it by the end. I was like, you and I are not meant to be close. We are not meant to, you know, get beyond, like, this, this is as far away from the facade as either of us are going to get right now. I think we, you know, we spent a lot of time this episode so far talking about how Goro serves a function a lot of times. And I feel like as much as I understood from like a writing perspective why you would want him to be more closed off than other characters, I do feel like this is just another moment of it really just like showing its face that he is not a character who persists in V's life beyond when he's on screen. I do think it's funny that he complains about people wanting handouts when he himself mm -hmm. is a beneficiary of a literal handout. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Where he was picked up hand chosen by Sabro uh to uh be his his right hand man uh and and get lifted up from the streets uh one of the things that i 
feel like may have made that like whole moment stronger is if we kind of understood the life that he had prior to us knowing him because when his, his old deal about like you know the the glory and the benefits of these corporations uh would have come off not much nicer if we didn't only know him as like a fucking trash boy right 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 yeah like our whole it again like the the problem i have with goro is that i i do i agree with you ken this one conversation is extremely good and and like i said i i like that they have a character that has this mindset and so like like having this character can allow you to either you know agree with him or develop your own counter stance to him like you did but it informs your character more and it creates role-playing opportunities you have to know why you agree or don't agree with goro and the game kind of gives you opportunities to push on it or agree with him or like good role-playing situations but the problem is, like, with Goro, it is just this one time that we get it all dumped immediately. It is mm. just like, hey, here's all of Goro's story <laughs> in, <laughs> in one conversation. And that happens to some extent in some of the other companion missions and stuff. You know, Usually around the time that your relic... There is literally a relic malfunction for every major character. Fun fact. Uh, there is always a moment where the relic malfunctions, and that usually signals that you're about to have a big heart-to-heart with said character. Uh, but with Goro, it is so painstakingly obvious that they just had the one window to dump it all in and otherwise he is just this dude out doing story stuff and and like you said matt we we only really ever see him as for for a very brief window at the very beginning of the game as the body man uh who is potentially trying to murder us before we try to murder other people And then later as the trash man (laughs) who's just down on his luck all the time. And we don't even really get to see a lot of growth from him in that aspect. We get like a little bit of flavor Mm. dialogue here and there, but mostly all of Goro's characterization is in this one part. And because of the way that a later mission goes, they basically have to cut the character out completely at that point. Well, and this this is going to play into, you know, five episodes from now when we get to the ending. Like, he also, if he does survive, ends up playing a significant role in one of the endings that seems to more or less uh, kind of solidify that he has learned nothing in the end. Because, like, he is going to pick up right where he left off and everything's going to be working out in his favor again. And he's going to be completely content with that, unchanged by everything that's happened. And that is frustrating, but it also... I don't know, like, it, I, I think I'm kind of compelled by that, having seen so many people over the years of my life, just, like, that, that that are content with the, the system that they're in, regardless of whatever hardship befalls other people, because, like, it has worked out for them, and right. this is, like, a, a glitch in the system for him, in terms of everything that he's ever done in his life. It's, like, this thing has happened that is, like, partially, like, it, it's your nose fault, partially our fault, and these are just things he has to get rid of and, you know, overcome to get things back on track to how he wants. And that ending, uh, you know, when he does show up, kind of solidifies that this was never about, you know, any any revolutionary stance for him. It was always about getting back to where he was and where he was comfortable. Right. And yeah. 
I think that can be a really interesting character to have in this sort of world is like, again, I don't think every character needs to, you know, adhere to or come around to the way that I perceive the world, but it, they do need to have some sort of foundation that makes them feel like they have an informed ideological like viewpoint that, that makes sense for why their character acts the way they, they do in certain situations. And Goro gets that, but it's all just like really dumped really fast, mm. really concentrated. And then, and then disappears for, for the majority of the time. Uh, you, you were going to say something, Matt? Yeah, I think, I think the disconnect might be that Goro is a surprisingly like regular character throughout this entire storyline. And yet he really does only have this one scene, you know, for mm. yeah. characterization. Yeah. For uh, someone that's even... in so many like main story quests. Yeah. Yeah, like he's second really to the to the main love interests who are like your primary characters, and and I think I agree with with Kenneth. Like you're not really supposed to be friends with him. You're not supposed to befriend him in any sort of like narrative way, and it's totally okay to to have that in a in a mm-hmm. game. Not everybody in the video game that's a important NPC like has to fall in love with you, uh, and not every important character like has to undergo change. But it does like I think I think there are even moments that could have gone a long way like when he when you first meet him in a diner and he's just like they've taken like I, my implants are stolen and i'm just like i if i saw that it might have been like more compelling as a character for you you know yeah yeah um ken you also got some special dialogue here because of yeah. your choices <laughs> so i mean we, we brought this up in the side quest episode but here's where he tells me that uh jackie's body was probably taken from vix by arasaka to make an engram and interrogate him and um that's fucked up. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you want to go on all this shit about how, you know, you, these corporations did so much good for you, and now they have essentially revived a person simply to torture them. Like, what, what's that, um... Oh, what's that character in Greek myth? That is, like, on the tree and then gets, like, pecked alive by vultures and then is revived. Hello, it's Editor Ken calling to you from beyond the show. It was tedious. Now back to the show. Yeah, he gets chained to a rock and, and yeah, yeah, and uh, eagles yeah, like eat like, his, his liver and stuff. Yeah, and his liver grows back for for all eternity. Which was fun. Fun fact uh, was a uh, was a story meant to uh, highlight how uh, a liver, like in the human body, does partially regenerate. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, kids. <laughs> it grows back. Um, it does grow back a little bit. Yeah. So then we do an infiltration thing, which is just like super Deus Ex infiltrating. I actually, I I snuck in the through the like stealing a truck and and pretending to drive in as one of the drivers, which was very funny for Ken to watch because I like regularly failed at stealing the truck over and over again and had to keep reloading. Uh, but other than that, I ended up because I'm at a software like hacker level that is so high now. I just got into the camera system and from one point in the level took everybody else in the level out by just hopping between cameras and hacking people and uploading like viruses into their brains and stuff. Damn. I feel like I have largely trivial trivialized this game <laughs> at mm. this point. Yeah, I mean, here uh, I which... am like having to sneak through take out one person, like, blind some guy while he's, like, looking in my direction so I can take his friend out and you're over here just 
Yeah, you should just upload, like, a, virus upload a virus into their brain. Mm. Yeah, works really well. <laughs> Nobody has uh, like antivirus mm. software. <laughs> that is the one thing in this game. Now that I am actually into the netrunner stuff so before i was like oh hacking doesn't feel great it's it's not really rewarding and then it just became this magic like shoot a fireball button which it kind of still is right now but the other weird thing about it is that there are enemies who you have to kind of spend more ram it, it it's like mm-hmm. if the the fireball button all of a sudden like cost more mp on a higher level enemy you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. but that's kind of how they simulate the idea of oh this person has protections on their network or whatever so you have to like hack them harder but it just feels not great it it doesn't feel interesting like i i almost wish there was this you know maybe you have to upload a certain sequence of software or you have to like craft a certain branch or something you know you see somebody's got like oh they have blue ice and that means that uh they have a protection on something so i have to upload one thing to like take out their ice and then i can upload the short circuit or whatever like nothing about hacking feels like actual hacking in this game it all just feels like either a a mini game and a really really boring tedious mini game at that one that makes like fallouts hacking seem interesting by comparison and uh or, or just feels like magic it just feels like you are casting a spell on somebody and i, I it, it continuously bums me out how there is so much of net running that you see that looks really cool like people being jacked into the system and having to like gather a bunch of hardware and literally like cool their bodies off because of how hot they are getting from all the the stuff they are running and when it comes to net running for v it is just like i cast magic missile <laughs> like <laughs> that's it feels like larping and i it is one of the bigger bum outs and also why I was talking earlier about how none of this game feels very futuristic to me because that is just what hacking is in this game. There's no level of actually dealing with technology. So it would be very funny if, uh, in universe like me would be going around like I can hack and then he does it. And like real hackers are like, that's not hacking. (laughs) (laughs) It's, uh, it's that bit from Robot Chicken where uh, all the Empire people are faking being force choked by yeah, Darth Vader. Exactly. <laughs> Everyone's just pretending to get hacked by V because they don't want to get shot. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyways, so we, we get inside, we implant the virus on Hanako's float, and we get back out. Uh, Goro like opens the roof for us, and we just kind of walk out. It's a very anticlimactic ending to the mission. Honestly, that so whole a infiltration... door or a door or a ceiling fan. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. This time, this time we got vent or roof. <laughs> which one do you want? Um, and then we get to play it safe. Which honestly, to me playing this mission i was like damn this is a vertical slice if i've ever Mm. seen one (laughs) this is we we are demoing this at e3 baby let's go um it is 
so like set up for you that it is kind of wild in a way like like it feels almost like a call of duty level to me in the way that it is so not a part of anything that is happening in the open world and that's you get to the area the parade's gonna start uh the whole the whole plan's gonna go underway and you get this like kind of fade to black and fade back in where it's like oh you know here's your here's your shard here's where all the snipers are suddenly this like place you are at that had like maybe 10 people around is now completely crowded everyone's here but once you get the shard and you get on your way there is like a perfect path through people that is like directing you to where you need to go like everything about this mission is so laid out and like visually directed in a way that again it feels like a call of duty level it literally feels like a call of duty campaign mission um we have to take out all the um snipers and we we get another hit of of goro doing his thing because uh we we can remark that even if this plan works oda will still be around hanako and we're like hey are you ready to like deal with oda in case like he's not cool with you dropping in on hanako and goro's like oda's a man of honor who wouldn't raise a hand against me and i was like god damn uh but then he i do like the line where we're like well what if like, like what if it looks like we're we're coming there to assassinate hanako uh oda might actually like try and stop you because that is like his literal job mm. <laughs> and uh goro just says like well i hope i'm still faster than him and i i did like that one i was like okay that that was kind of cool that was that was cool but the whole bit before about like oh oda's a man of honor he won't <laughs> he won't kill me like that and we're like dude that's literally his job right now <laughs> it's goro the, this plan is so bad <laughs> um and then we do we we stealth around and take out a bunch of snipers and and that's it that's i remember i I remember dying a lot at this part i'm not really sure why so i I died at one point because there was like a landmine behind one of the snipers which was wild i think that was it yeah, I think it was that, and I think I also I think it was the the vertical level was like hard for me to read visually because of how dark it was. It is okay. This is like a thing with the PC build. I'm just convinced of it at this point. It is ridiculously dark in Cyberpunk at at some points, like mm-hmm. just incredibly dark, and you don't have like a flashlight button or anything weird that they just uninvented the flashlight in the future. Uh, but yeah, it is. I had the same thing where I was having trouble navigating and had to turn my brightness up because I could not see some of the geometry I was looking for. I remember now. Yeah, it wasn't that I died a lot during this part. It's that I literally got stuck because there's a ladder that you have to find to climb, and I just kept missing it because of how dark it was. Yeah, That's weird. Like I, I mean, I noticed it when I was watching you play, Eric. That like, I was like this is way darker than it looks like on PlayStation. Didn't really know why. Who knows. So, you know, it's all the all the graphics. There's so much graphics mm, coming mm. through the screen. Um, we do get uh, a mention of Adam Smasher here because, you know, Johnny needs to get all riled up about Adam Smasher. That also feels like something they shoehorn in really mm-hmm. late in the game, but we'll, we'll get to more of that later. Mm. But, yeah, that was the whole thing. Um, 
so we take out the snipers in a pretty straightforward sequence of events and then we also need to take out the net runner so we knew that there was a net runner deployed in the area and we need to go take them out and so uh we do have a really cool sequence of like you have to navigate under the float at one point and they're like i don't know flame bursts under them Mm. because i guess they're like hovering using rockets or something again i'm so there are like flying vehicles in cyberpunk but there's still cars mm-hmm. do do i got that about right yeah like like there are kind of transports that fly around kind of like helicopters but then also cars on the ground and these these floats are kind of a um like like in between they're like hover vehicles i i am always surprised when i see stuff in this game that looks like they're trying to veer into almost that like star wars prequel like hover vehicle sort of situation where everyone's flying around in the air and stuff but then they also need to have actual just cars on the ground and i guess it's kind of interesting to like see the midway point in this game as like some vehicles are at that level of tech but it's still like for the rich and and the Mm -hmm. powerful and people on the ground still have to navigate around by cars but it also just makes this game feel kind of weird when there's just like hover vehicles but also like i don't know a motorcycle on the ground Mm I should do like I mean I feel like I feel like because of how important like car culture is in America like that still makes sense you know? yeah that's mm. true but... that's true there's just a lot of I don't know the the more I played the game the more I was like there are so many cars in this game like like cars are such a big thing because you literally have people texting you all the time like hey I'm selling my Volkswagen bus you want to come buy it <laughs> like you get Craigslist ads to your phone <laughs> and I just I kept seeing those and I was like this game really wants me to like have a garage of some kind but number one you can't have a garage your garage is just your phone and so there's like this feeling of V is just like buying all these cars and then leaving them scattered all over the night city and like randomly calling one up every now and then to like autopilot its way over. Uh, and also the idea of there is clearly automated driving of some kind, but nobody seems to ever use it. Uh, so I guess that is accurate to modern day, at least in <laughs> Tesla's, <laughs> but for all the, uh, for all the effort they put into all this shit they all still handle like garbage so yeah it's again that feeling of gta where it's like somebody played grand theft auto and was like grand theft auto has tons of cars Mm. and people when they play open world games want to collect things let's have a bunch of cars but outside of like the racing mission that we do like and I guess nomad stuff and nomads kind of have a reason why they have vehicles because they are literally nomadic and they travel around using the vehicles, but it's like they wanted cars to be this really big facet of this game, but don't make them feel as integrated to the actual game as like GTA does. I I don't know. You mean cyberpunk 2077 did a thing because other games did it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's, that's kind of what I'm getting at is like, it's, it's that old quote from Roger Ebert 
uh, where he was like reviewing something and he was like, the director tilts his camera because he's seen other directors, like good directors tilt their camera, mm-hmm. but doesn't understand why they tilt their camera. <laughs> and like, like that is, it, for, first of all, it's a great dunk. But <laughs> second <laughs> of all, it's, it's kind of how I feel about cyberpunk a lot is I feel like this game does things because it knows that a big budget game is supposed to do these sorts of things, but it doesn't understand the meaning behind why it does those things. And I mean, that's not an uncommon thing in video games. There's a whole like sub list of, Oh, Hey, you like dark souls. Well, we made a dark souls too. You know, we, (laughs) we have made more of the video game that you enjoy. So if you're done with that game and you want to play more of it, but slightly different and maybe not as good, we've got that for you. Uh, but cyberpunk is like this super big budget game that is just trying to do all these things that it feels like it should do. Like it feels natural. It's a good thing to put in like a marketing thing. Like we have so many vehicles Mm. next nights. They had a night city wire that was like, we're talking about vehicles, but for how much of it there is here, like actual vehicles feel like so little of a part of the actual world of night city. We, I mean, we talked about it before, like, it feels like a hubris, almost ego thing, like, it cannot be seen doing less than other games, like, it didn't want, Yeah. like, it feels like an, in a design dock somewhere, they're like, okay, we won't have all these things because other games have done this, and Cyberpunk is supposed to be this huge game that's everything to everybody, it cannot be lacking in these features, and, you know, that that leads to cars handle the way that it does. Mm-hmm. It, you know, I, I can get that feeling it and that is i think part of the disappointment is that it, it does all of these things but i really wish it was a little more focused either be a more focused experience or be a bigger experience and mm-hmm. at the end by the time we reach the end it's kind of neither right yeah speaking of things that cyberpunk has that it <laughs> thinks it should have <laughs> boss battles <laughs> um once we get to the netrunner and pull them out of the system uh oda shows up and we have to fight him and this is a deus ex boss fight if i've ever seen one uh it is he's just running around they do some cool stuff i will say i like the part where he can cloak and starts to like heal himself and you kind of they hint that you're supposed to kind of use uh the candles that are lighting up uh for some reason like candles light up when he walks by them when he's cloaked which felt very like we needed to give you a way to see this stuff easier and it looks cool but really you just kind of look for the shimmer and Mm. also if you go into hacking mode he and like whip the cursor around the screen you will see where he like pops up and so you can just kind of zero in on him that way um i don't know this boss fight was kind of annoying uh Mm. i just kind of like hacked him over and over again and just kept throwing my magic missiles at him until he stopped and like you could use guns as well i feel like you're kind of so because like he comes in he spots you right away so you can stealth at at some point you can like drop aggro from it and he will kind of like hunt you and i think you can like stealth attack him if you sneak up on him but mostly like this is a gunfight slash mm-hmm. magic missile fight i, I don't know it's... yeah i mean, I mean like i'm because i mean I've, I've played this whole game now and there are other instances of this as well and i'm like what is the solution for that like what are they like when you've got a game that is like build centric and a lot of these builds can be 
combat averse? Like, what what do you do when you want the character, like your your player, to have this big showdown with this, you know, this boss fight? Like, what do you do when the the rest of your game does not support that? Well, I I mean, like that's that was kind of the problem that Deus Ex: Human Revolution had to deal with, and I don't think it's a bad thing to be like, okay, you have kitted your character out for charisma, right? Like you are. You are built to do one thing, but just like a combat-oriented player might not be able to get through charisma sections of the game very well, we are going to have a point in the game in which you are going to struggle. And I, th- I think that's fine. I think if done well, that could be an interesting thing. Uh, like, I, I don't know, Disco Elysium comes to mind as a game that does that better, but maybe that's because even combat in Disco Elysium is tied into dialogue more than anything else. And so that feels like you were just kind of doing the thing that you do in that game. But in this game, you don't have that luxury of being able to say like everything is a die roll. Everything's a stat check. Like you are going to proceed or fail and, and that will be affected by how you have leveled up. Like cyberpunk is an RPG, but it's also a shooter and so eventually they're going to put something in your path that you are going to have to shoot uh and you can like kind of stealth attack him it is very difficult and you have to kind of know how to use the systems to do it and so i can see like that idea of this has a difficulty to it that where you might have breezed through other parts of the game you are now going to struggle a little bit against an enemy that knows how to deal with you but they could have then designed it to be a little bit more of an intriguing boss fight and not just this feeling of like, oh, I'm going to drop aggro and sneak around and wait for him to patrol into the right zone. Like uh, The Mr. Freeze fight in Batman Arkham City is like a good example of that, of how do we communicate this thing that you are going to have to like stealth attack this guy multiple times. Right. And that's, that's the whole idea behind that boss fight is you have to keep using different takedowns on him and you can never use the same takedown twice. He, he will always like adapt to it after you've used it once, but here, I don't know. It just has to like fit into the bounds of this game and this game's combat can be really interesting, but it doesn't have that level of malleability. I don't know. It's, I think the thing that I'm I don't know think, how you design this. I'm I'm realizing now that like the sort of uh, perk that I guess I guess you get for you know being a stealth or hack centric player at this point, it's like you'll have enough RAM uh, hypothetically to actually get past a lot of these characters. Like they have defenses and you know um, just just like some hacks are like more effective on regular enemies than they are them, and. So, like, you know, if you've got a lot of RAM, then your hacks are still going to go through. But they also don't, like, go the extra mile of, like, make those hacks last as long on a boss character as they do a standard character. But you're having to, like, get past this RAM threshold that, you know, a more combat-centric player is not going to be able to hit. And because, you know, I can still, you know, I can use cyberware malfunction or uh, turn off as optics. But, like, it only lasts for, like, two seconds. It's never, like, long enough for me to really get any actual, you know... It, like to get any real use out of those things, like, I get a couple extra shots in at that point, but I never actually really feel like I'm making the most of that build. And in that way, like I mean, I'm sure they don't want somebody to like you know you, you can use um some of the hacks that you have they are like almost instant kills for some enemies, and I'm sure they don't want people to do that. But like make it take off like a reasonable chunk of their health. Like make it feel like even if I'm not able to do as much damage with my fists, I am at least 
being rewarded in more ways than are like two seconds of vulnerability. I think my big thing with this fight was just that for me, like the con, it, it highlighted how the combat was just throwing spells at at enemies and and waiting on cooldowns and just kind of dodging him in the meantime although frequently like i i like dropped aggro from him at one point and so he was just kind of like wandering around looking for me while i was just hitting him with spells from behind a pillar and it was very very silly but i think they they had like one cool idea with this this fight which was the cloaking section and they they do pull this on another enemy in a side quest that is literally a ghost in the shell reference because it is a fight in water where a cloaked enemy who's like a major is like trying to attack you it's one of the cyber psycho missions uh, and so they literally do that scene from ghost in the shell <laughs> but uh it, they had this one cool thing but other than that he is just a guy that runs at you and hits you with the mantis blades and that's yeah. it and it doesn't really feel like a cool like you're having to do anything that you wouldn't do in other situations either like it's not it's only memorable because of how much health he has and how much you just have to like deal with him he is just a bullet sponge to use the the common turn of phrase and i don't know this is just kind of lame all all things considered and they give you the option at the very end like after you have pumped him full of enough bullets to like fell a rhino they're like oh do you want to kill him or you want to spare him (laughs) and you know magic game is like oh he's still alive and you you get to make a choice now and uh i i like short-circuited him which is like a non-lethal hack and uh that took him out ken i'm guessing you just like had to punch him or something Mm -hmm. yeah it was weird um and also the way he fell made it look like he died (laughs) which was very silly um anyways we jack into the access point at this point and uh we see hanako like trying to call yorinobu and be like hey i don't want to do this freaking parade it's is this sucks something's wrong i feel like i'm out here gonna get assassinated like everything's bad uh and Yorinobu's like, don't worry about it. You've got your part to play in this. It's it's fine. You're good. Um, so that's all we see of their relationship. <laughs> and then uh, Takamura just like busts in and is like, hey, listen to me. I, I promise I'm not here to kill you. I got to tell you something important. And Hanako is like, nah, I'm not listening. And then you hear security start to kind of like bust in. And he just like tases her and grabs her and runs out. And that is our segue into the next mission where we run out of the building where we're at and get to a rendezvous point with um, with Takemura where you have to knock a certain number of times or you get shot in the face by Goro, <laughs> <laughs> which, which is, is very funny. Yeah, yeah. Um, we we go in and we find that he has Hanako there and of course security is everywhere looking for us and so all things are bad uh we try to tell Hanako what has been going on what happened and she just does not talk at all she's just cold stone face like not saying or doing anything and then we hear some noise outside and Arasaka troops bust in and start tearing the place apart 
and uh, we we basically drop through the floor. And as we come to, uh, things are just bullets are flying, fires everywhere. And Johnny pops up is like, we got to get out of here. We got to go. And this is the point where you can either leave and just like walk out or you can go back for Takamura. Um, And the whole time Johnny will be like, what are you doing, man? Come on, just leave him. (laughs) And it's really silly. Um, That's a pretty good Keanu. (laughs) I try. You know, I feel like we've we've been doing so much cyberpunk. I I had to work on a Keanu and get it ready. Mm. So. Uh, the next it, it, episode will be where I get to do a lot of Keanu. Oh, I guess yeah, that'll be the oh, actual yeah. Keanu episode. But <laughs> this this it, whole it, section is cool. I like the idea a lot of having this optional, like to the level that, like Matt, some folks didn't know that you could save Takamura, and that's kind of fun. Yeah. I like that. Uh, I straight up left him behind because I he was just like, "Yeah, go," and I'm like, "Yeah, okay." And also, like, and <laughs> going back to going back to how dark this game looks, especially on PC. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't even. I sort of didn't realize what was happening. And so when I, when, like, now that we're talking about it, I didn't even realize that I went a floor below, you know? Right. Oh, jeez. And that there yeah. was, and that there was an option to go that, that, like, spatially, mm-hmm. uh, Goro and Hanako are still back up on the first floor. And that's where that, that's where they would be. Mm-hmm. And so my mm-hmm. thinking would be if I did look around and try to save Goro, I would be looking around where I am at. Right. If I don't see them, I'm like, well, they're not here and they're nowhere. So I'm going to go. Yeah, and I will say, and Ken, I think you had this experience too, it is really difficult to figure out where Takamura is because you are not really given a sense of the space that you are in prior to it being blown up, and then you are kind of just plunged into this level, and there is no like real good waypoint marker for where you are supposed to go to save Goro. It's just like, hey, optional, if you want to do this, you can save well, him. Cause like, but it's not even like how most, most quests in this game have like the optional uh thing that you can do like it doesn't even say that like it doesn't even show you where you're supposed to go and like i think that's i'm the two minds of that because like one that's kind of interesting that like you know it's not something that the game's gonna like really telegraph you like hey if you want to go do the optional thing go turn left here instead of right but also like when you have this kind of like subversion of the way that you've communicated things to the player up at this point like you know in the 25th hour that's mm-hmm. like, uh, I mean, I kind of feel like you're setting up a lot of players for failure to not even know that there's this other thing to do because you're expecting them to, I mean, sure, like that, there's that conversation with Johnny that does, you know, set the idea in your head that you can maybe go find him. But everything else in terms of how you're communicating the map and the waypoint and just the general layout of the area you're in is not going out of its way to kind of really make sure a player understands that that's something that they could do. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's kind of wild. Uh, I I do like the idea of oh, there's an optional thing that you can easily miss. But the the part I don't like is that you're not really given a sense of how to navigate around the space or or like even where you are really. Uh, and and then they blow it all up and move it all over the place anyways. And it's just it was not fun navigating this area. And you're doing it while dealing with some really high-level enemies, like really, mm. really high-level enemies uh, that I was having to use just about every... So I have, like, a decent gun that is my go-to at this point, and I also have gotten the mod that lets my arm shoot rockets, uh, which owns. And so I had to bust all that out to, to start doing that here. Um, which, I mean, you know, it's rewarding me for the fact that I have saved up and bought the... Mm-hmm 
unlimited ammo arm rocket launcher and stuff like that so i i feel rewarded but also like these enemies are also bullet sponges and so i'm just sitting on opposite ends of a hallway like throwing my magic missiles at them once they come off cooldown and they take forever to come off cooldown and also like you know lobbing the occasional arm rocket or you know round of ar bullets and and, like ammo is really hard to come by uh i was running out of ammo on all my guns in this area so like i don't know just did not like this whole section (laughs) (laughs) but we got out of there uh goro and and us both get out of there the relic starts to act up and takamura like helps us out and then is like hey we gotta split up and run uh probably not be good for us to stick together and we wake up uh, at one of the motels on the city outskirts. Um, and I like that when we come to V is basically like sitting there in a chair, like all lights out, nothing going on, just with a gun pointed at the door. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's some really good, like just immediate storytelling of like, here's what's been up. Like right. you have not slept much. Um it's been about 24 hours since we split up with Takamura and we've basically just been hiding out and a car drives up and uh, someone says they have a message for V and you know, Johnny's like, don't you open that fucking door. (laughs) (laughs) And of course we have to open it because that's how we let the plot into the room. But uh, (laughs) yeah, this game, it does that all the time. Like, I feel like half the time they're just like, we should just make it so that Johnny tells you not to do something. And that's the way of telling the player that you should do something. (laughs) Like that's what we're going to use our Keanu Reeves bucks on. Um, And this, this is actually one of the parts where I will eat some crow and say, this was some good cyberpunk shit Mm -hmm. right here. Um, this, this woman walks in and sits down and she just has this attitude. She's like smoking a cigarette and she's like, ugh, terrible place. And it sits down and we're like, so what's the message? What's going on? She's like, give it a moment. And then the Wi-Fi kicks in and she basically <laughs> like changes posture and starts speaking more like refined and elegantly and stuff. And we Im- immediately recognize that she is a doll uh kind of like the ones from uh clouds only this one serves as like a proxy for hanako and hanako is now speaking to us and that's good that's fun Mm -hmm. i like this like that is Mm -hmm. that's some good characterization of like hey that is totally what a rich person would do in the future is send a proxy and speak through them that's really cool i like this yeah and they they raised that when we were you know doing the evelyn stuff like oh evelyn might have been you know hired as a doll for somebody else to make the whole life happen and you know and not even know it like that's you know the sort of framing they give is that dolls are used to carry messages from one person to another without the middleman ever really knowing what's happening and right right so like you bring up this really interesting lore concept and then it's kind of never went anywhere and so like i was glad to see it come back here yeah yeah it's it's good like it's good cyberpunk you know it's good technology like we're Mm. seeing the ways in which technology is used by people in everyday life and and like also informing the characters that are using them and and having this this woman who comes in is like uh and she's like totally over it she's like this is another day on the job for her like she probably (laughs) hates this gig she's got to like get dressed up properly and and comes in smoking the cigarette which hanako like the second hanako takes over immediately puts the cigarette down like you can tell there's 
that sort of like disconnect between people happening. It's it's a very good. It's it's a really good little bit. And Hanako is basically like, look, I believe you. I've changed my mind. Yorinobu is a scumbag, I guess. And we're gonna have uh an exchange here and so we can ask about mikoshi uh she tells us a lot of info uh does tell us that mikoshi is a satellite basically i forgot if we had found that out already that mikoshi is like orbiting earth or whatever um but basically it's this place where all these different constructs are and we we communicate like what has been going on with the relic and what's been happening and hanako's like i want to meet you in person i want to like uh talk to you face to face i believe you uh and we're gonna help each other out and of course johnny doesn't like that johnny's like oh we're not gonna make a deal with arisaka and uh that is kind of what signposts the actual end game end game because like at this point you could just go beat the game and and be done with it uh and never play this video game again (laughs) actually can you can you do that without oh no you you immediately go into tapeworm after this because i was gonna say like could you beat the game before seeing act three pop up that would be very funny um oh no yeah but yeah well we'll talk about tapeworm which is the the mission that starts as soon as we walk out of the hotel room uh at the start of our next episode but it does feel weird here as a closer on Takamura that they do just have a line where Hanako's like, don't worry, I've already talked to Takamura and he's safe and, mm-hmm. and fine. And that's kind of the last hit we get of him. Yeah. Uh, and it's also, it. and like notably, like I said earlier, like we are headed into the end game here. We're going to, like, we're going to get to do some, we're going to have two episodes or three episodes before we actually you know get to the finale. But we are, as far as like a lot of the main plot is concerned, we've seen just about everything that the game has to show, and the weird thing is like if you don't follow one of the the uh, one of the ending paths, you will literally never hear about Takamura again. Um, and you know that if he, if he died there, then and the last quest, then sure, like you know that doesn't really mean anything to do uh, to most people, but. If he does survive, the only way to see any more sort of conclusion to his story is to take a certain ending path. And yeah, it's like a weird thing to kind of leave one of the characters that is has been, you know, for all our feelings on him, he has been a pillar of a lot of the main plot. Like he has been there for uh, many different developments and has kind of been, you know, our, I mean, I, I guess that's kind of. Well, he, he, he facilitated us being able to speak to Hanako, and now he is gone. He has served his purpose, and he goes away. Um, so, yeah, yeah. it's a... It's a, it, I have a mix of feelings of it, because I do... Honestly, like, I really love the ending of this game a lot, and um, get just, like, framing this as, like, the thing that sets that up is weird to me, just because, like, it really just... Like, like we've been saying, it just, like, really solidifies. Goro was here to to serve a narrative function and now he's done and now he's off the board mm-hmm. yeah he was there to plot at you and then also be asian <laughs> <laughs> any any closing thoughts on on goro and cyberpunk here matt oh uh yeah i mean i feel like i just said it really uh, 
it's weird. It's weird that he is a he is actually like uh, an important part of the story, and at the same time, he is like the least fleshed out and the least interesting of all the like sort of quote unquote main characters that you meet throughout the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know if that's if he's just a victim of the sort of like overall cyberpunk tropes or just this game in particular. But it's not. I mean, he's not any worse than like a character like him from other games. Mm-hmm. And that's just disappointing. And that's just a constant disappointment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I think like closing the book on Goro, it does just feel like this could have been a really interesting character. I think like this. Again, as I said earlier, you have somebody here who likes the way the world is. And, you know, even if he wants change, he doesn't want fast change. He wants gradual change and he he benefits from the world and has a very conservative mindset about it. And I think that's fine. I think that's like good to have a character like that because it does make you start to have to inform your own character and, Mm -hmm. and make, you know, establish your own ideology within this world and how you feel about it but it it just feels like goro is something that could have been so much and ends up both stumbling into some of the stuff we talked about uh in regards to the way that cyberpunk portrays asian culture and especially with arasaka mm-hmm. and mm. it also kind of reveals how much of the arasaka stuff like the drama feels a little undercooked and like I think maybe one of my larger problems with cyberpunk is that I just don't like the a plot of it. Like the, the whole, you have a construct in your brain and you're trying to take care of it is somewhat compelling, but I think it ends up hamstringing a lot of things that this game does and ends up uh, making it feel like you were playing the last third of what this game should have been. Um, You know, you end up, getting to this point so fast that you know i brought it up earlier that we are at the end game like we could just go finish the game at this point and and be done with it and i think that's shocking because they're trying to tell the story about what kind of legacy do you want to leave behind Mm -hmm. and what do you want your life to have meant and we've only lived the dying part of the life we haven't really lived the life part of the life and for a game that is so reflective on legacy and death Mm. and moving on you don't really have that feeling of having lived in this world you just have the notion that everyone to some level is slowly dying in this world and Mm. that's interesting and it's cool and it's neat but i don't feel like the game engages with that as often as i wish it did so this is where i think you know as we're moving into these next few episodes i think I, i i agree with what you're saying on like a main like like you said like the main plot in terms of like what it actually designates as this is the thing that moves the story forward and for me i think what is the most confounding thing about act three like what we're headed into like you know the final act of this game is what it designates as optional and what it designates Mm, as yeah the thing to carry forward because like we're about to spend after this two episodes that are everything that you just said is completely like wrapped up in that um and it's all optional and it's all something that the game you know like it does go out of its way to kind of like set you on that path but you don't have to and i think when a lot of people mainline this game mm-hmm. they are being directed away from the stuff where it's actually starting to lean into really engaging with a lot of the stuff beyond like yes this thing is in your head get it out but like what does it mean for this this person to be with you for this person 
to be the thing that is representing the old ways of Night City and how things have changed in the time since and what it means to, like, what the legacy that this person has left. Mm-hmm. Um, all that's coming in the next two episodes instead of the one that's going to be our final episode, which is going to be the finale, which is where we could hypothetically go right now. Well, it, we talked before about how I, like, I again feel that Cyberpunk has an issue with directing you to its good stuff because there are plenty of games that, you know, their main plot may not be the best part and a lot of their best stuff is really in the the side quests and you know even some of my favorite games are absolutely that way like disco elysium is a great example where the a plot's really good but a lot of the side stuff also sticks with people like a a ton a lot of those side conversations with with kim and some of the mysteries you can get into in the surrounding area are just as big and just as informative to what those games themes are but cyberpunk doesn't signpost them well and it doesn't like give you reason to run into them Uh, again this is a world that i think i remarked to you while i was playing for this episode that i was like everything i like when i boot this game up and i think about what do i what can i do in this game right now it's all quests it's that's it like this world Uh, you can you can play a a a roach minigame now yeah you know two years later they finally put a minigame in this game compare it to like yakuza a game that uses the the sheer like breadth of how much side stuff you can do as a way to kind of encourage you to navigate the world and see different parts of it and run into the side stories that end up being a major part of why people like those games or even just design the quests in a way that it takes you into different areas and encourages you in that way to like explore and run into these places that will then kind of open up side quest branches there's a lot of work that goes into really really good open world games to like give you reasons to run into things that the developers and designers want you to see right Mm -hmm. like if if you just make an open world and fill it with stuff a player is not necessarily going to just go do that stuff unless they go in with the intent of that and even then like cyberpunk you have to go to these areas you have to get the text messages you have to wait a certain number of days and i think the way that this game just like ends up not giving you a good way of running into the stuff that you should be running into or doesn't signpost it well or just gives it to you in it like a 60 plus inbox my my text message inbox is freaking ridiculous mm. in cyberpunk right now <laughs> it's like 60 plus unread and every time i look at it i'm like how am i supposed to find what in here is just some like flavor text and what in here is like spam and just mm-hmm. nothing and what in here is actually worth looking at and doing and they they don't do a great job of that and i think that is Going into the end game here, I'm excited to actually go engage with some of this stuff because I never did my first time mm-hmm. around. Like I, I've said before, I never finished Cyberpunk the first time, and this was about the time when I dropped out of it. Um, I remember getting the thing that was like, "Go talk to Hanako," and I think that was like the last thing I did in this game. Right. Uh, so it's all new for me from here on out. But I, I am interested to see what it does and where it goes. But I, I do feel like I'm having to scrape a little bit where I'm mm-hmm. at. So, um, you stopped like right before the ending. That talk to Hanako thing like just like triggers the right. final, right? Final bit. Yeah. No, I I know I stopped right before the ending, <laughs> and 
it says something that I just never wanted. I ended up watching an ending on YouTube instead because I didn't want to go actually play the ending of the game. I was so done with Cyberpunk at that point. Uh, so I will actually play it this time. We'll see how that goes. And I got to make an ending choice and all that. But um, that'll do it for this episode here today. As always, we are Normandy FM, a retrospective podcast. You can follow us on twitter.com slash Normandy FM show or head over to patreon.com slash Normandy FM where you can uh, back us if you want. Any level gets you into the backer discord. Next level up, we'll get you these episodes as soon as Ken is done editing them. And we are very ahead of schedule right now so if you're listening to this when it's going up you are getting it quite quite faster than other folks are out there uh and at the highest level you get your name shouted out every episode of the podcast as we record them and this episode that list is mercedes cluis meredith shane erickson darius pippins and genevieve barba thank you all so much for contributing and helping us uh as for our guest matt where can the folks at home find you and all the lovely things you do on the internet uh yeah you can catch me on twitter uh, at burger king no. <laughs> where you can have it your way <laughs> uh that's hashtag sponsor, hashtag ad. yeah yeah that's our new sponsor <laughs> burger king <got> us. <laughs> uh you they can find me on on at law of td uh the i've explained the username on many different podcasts over the years so i shoot forgive me but i will not be doing it again oh no, that's fine that's fine i'm all good with it missing out on matt lore yeah yeah you but have to go follow not. matt's other podcast appearances mm-hmm. to get the deeper lore this is mm-hmm. see we signpost our side quests here <laughs> that is us leaving a tease for you to go follow the matt kim side quest uh, but yeah if not you know it's pretty self-explanatory i'm, I'm a king and i like burgers so uh excellent and they can also find your written work over on ign.com right yes yeah (laughs) still Uh, still putting stuff up actually uh without any spoilers uh i will have a a cyberpunk thing going up later this week oh exciting Well, well later this week as of when we are recording this so if you're listening to this on the free feed it went up a while ago. Just go find it. <laughs> oh, okay. That's good. Then. Oh, okay. Hold on. Hold on. If we're doing it like that, then, uh, uh, then you can actually read my review of cyberpunk Ed runners on IGN. On no shit. Oh, heck yeah. yeah. Oh, mm. Mm. you might need to talk later because <laughs> Ken and I are discussing doing an edge runners, uh, side uh, cast just to talk about well, the series, but, uh, invite me on that one actually. Cause I have a lot to talk about on that one. Heck yeah. Okay. We're going to mark that down. Ken, Ken, right. All right, down. cool. Uh, but as for this episode, we, we only have three left. So I will say at this point, four I think we, we can just four left. Wait, four left? Yeah. Okay, I can count. Okay, the finale is like hiding down there at the bottom. It's like a little guy. <laughs> but we do have a few excellent guests left, including, uh, I guess we can actually just like announce it here and just say it that uh, we're going to have Tim Rogers coming on for the next episode to talk about Johnny's past. We're very excited about that. And we've got a few other guests that we're locking in for uh, another one of our episodes. But outside of that, we are getting real close to wrapping this season up. It's pretty exciting. If you want to keep up with that, make sure you follow all of our feeds. Follow Matt. He's great. Follow us. And for Matt, for Ken, for myself, thank you so much for listening today. And we'll see you next time on Normandy FM. (laughs) 